0: well i think the the science that shows viruses can live and feed uh, you know it's been replicated so many times over so many different viruses i think that's 100 percent science there's no question about that um, but there's there's quite a few things we don't understand yet so there's there's quite a bit of art but the science of transport and transmission or survival and transmission i think is is very solid
1: it's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket.
2: Hey everyone, so today we have Dr. Scott D. He goes over a brief history behind feed biosecurity, the biggest learnings from recent times, and then uh, ways to minimize risk in uh, imported products. He also talks about the 80-20 rule of feed biosecurity, right? So what would be the 20% of the actions that are going to create 80% of the results? And also clarify, you know, which parts are science versus art and those sorts of things. And then uh, finally, we get into some practical aspects like the biggest chains that feed meals have done uh, and also... Uh, the range of things that he sees around the globe and what can be done better to reduce everyone's risk. So with that, enjoy the episode.
1: Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcia Gonsalves,
2: your host for today's episode.
1: This episode's sponsor highlight is about Gestal. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestall manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system, designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Gestall is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat-level understanding. Gestall always one step ahead in swine feeding.
2: Hello, everyone. Today, we have Dr. Scott D. Uh, One more time, uh, if you missed the first episode, with Dr. D about the evolution of swine vet research over the last 30 years. Make sure to check it out. Today, he's going to chat about the science and art of feed risk and what can we do about it. So, thanks again, Dr. D, for, for being with us today.
0: Hey, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. Looking forward to the
2: discussion. Very good. Can you share the brief history behind feed biosecurity,
0: Dr. D? Yeah, brief is right. You know, I'm going to talk in terms of feed as a a vehicle for virus uh, transport and transmission. So obviously there's a lot of history about salmonella in feed, maybe some uh, chemicals and things like that through feed, some poisons. But as far as viruses, it's a very brief hmm. history. And it really began in when PED came into the United States in 2013, it spread so quickly between farms that a lot of the clinical veterinarians thought, well, maybe it's in the feed because you really couldn't even drive by a farm that fast and throw it in the window, you know, just spread it at a speed that it was being spread in the, in the field. And so that was an interesting observation. And uh, I remember January, first week of January, 2014, we had some some of our filtered farms in Pipestone become uh, infected with uh, PED. And these were filtered, very biosphere farms. They hadn't had PERS for years. They were bulletproof as we thought, but yet this new virus that had just come into the United States a few months prior was now running from farm to farm like there was nothing stopping it. and. We actually went into those the one one commonality across those farms were there was a feed outage in a specific bin and the animals that ate the feed after the bins were refilled were the index cases of PED. They began within a few days after the feed arrived they began to have issues with vomiting and diarrhea. They were diagnosed PD positive. We went into the inside of those feed bins and scraped the walls and found the virus in uh, that feed material uh, adhered to the walls of the bins. Sure. Now, if we went to a bin which was feeding healthy animals, we couldn't find that, even on the same farm, even a few meters away. We had negative bins right next to positive bins, and so that gave us some understanding that maybe feed was a vehicle. We fed that material to some pegs, and they got infected with PED. So we reproduced the disease We showed for the first time that uh, PED virus could be transmitted through consumption of feed. So that was like the first breakthrough that the industry had access to, to, to show that, yeah, maybe there's something to the feed as a risk factor that we'd never considered a pathogen spread of the viral nature. And we, you know, we went on beyond that and started looking at, well, maybe certain ingredients. Uh, support the virus more than others. And we learned, gosh, the soy products, they'll support the virus in a viable state for many months. So there was something about certain products that were much more protective. Um, We created models to simulate the movement of feed ingredients from Beijing to Des Moines, for example, under laboratory conditions. And we showed that certain ingredients would support viruses despite being exposed to conditions such as timetables of of transport, environmental conditions of the sea and the land, certain ingredients really support the virus very well. And it comes back from an observation I made at Randy Spronk's feed mill, Dr. Gordon Spronk's brother, Mm -hmm. where there was bags of Chinese ingredients on the farm. Mm -hmm. And we started thinking maybe that's how this virus came into the country. And I think most people uh, would agree that as far as PED goes, that's probably how it got to the United States. We've expanded that, and others have helped. So here I, got, I have to recognize uh, Dr. Eric Nelson from South Dakota State University, Dr. Diego Diel, who is at SDSU, now at Cornell, Dr. Megan Niederwerter at Kansas State University. A lot of these scientists have reproduced this work and expanded it across many other viruses, including African swine fever virus that Dr. Niederwerder is currently working on. So it's it's it, all of a sudden within the last few years, there's a whole bunch of science on the risk of feed as a way to move viruses, not only from farm to farm, but potentially from country to country. And, but it all began in January of 2014 when we started climbing around feed bins. <laughs> so mm. crazy a crazy start, but... Uh, it's been interesting to see how repeatable it is across so many uh, institutions and laboratories.
2: Very interesting, yeah, that was I remember those time times and that was super, super interesting to to see happening. and uh, what what uh, despite all the tragic side of it, what are the biggest learnings dr d from from this recent say six years now?
0: yes, the the biggest one, I think, is that feed is a risk factor we've never ever considered as a vehicle for virus spread. When you think about it, feed comes into a farm every day. There's no protection. You know, it just comes right in. It just goes in the bin. It gets augured into the building and the animals eat it up. Right. That's a very big paradigm shift that that could be a way viruses could enter. So that's probably number one is that feed is a risk we have to consider just like transport, like air, like people, like infected animals, it needs to be up there on that list of of risk factors. Um, Second would be how protective some of these ingredients are. And I've referenced it a minute ago with soy-based products. Mm -hmm. As we've repeated a lot of these studies and we've expanded these studies across different viruses, including African swine fever virus at Kansas State, uh, pseudorabies virus at Kansas State, hog cholera virus at KSU, They all live extremely well in soy-based products. Why that is, nutritionally speaking, I don't know. Maybe it's high protein. But there's something interesting about the protective effect of soy. And I think as we talk talk about how to reduce this risk on a transboundary basis, how we manage our imports of of products, potentially high-risk products from high-risk countries is an important conversation. So the biggest learnings are feed is a risk factor, and certain ingredients are highly protective. I think.
2: Very interesting. So, so on that topic, as far as how to protect, you know, the the importing, what what are your current thoughts on that one?
0: Yeah, you know, I think there's a few diff- there's a few things we can do as an industry, um, and there's lots been done. For example, in uh, when ASF was reported in China, we introduced a. An idea called Responsible Imports that our CEO, Luke Minion, uh, thought of. And he said, how do we safely bring in some of these ingredients from, say, China that we have to bring in to the U.S. because we don't make those ingredients in our country? How do we do that scientifically and safely? Mm -hmm. And we came up with the idea of holding, you know, taking the ingredients, bringing it in, but holding the ingredients for a period of time in a designated warehouse and letting the virus decay over time So we call that responsible imports. A lot of companies in the US have adapted that approach. The Canadian government has actually adapted that as a national approach for anything coming in from ASF positive countries that might be of high risk nature for feed. Um, So responsible imports is is a a big, important thing we can do on a voluntary basis. Um, The other thing is we were studying what are additives we can put in the feed to reduce viral survival? So if we have contaminated feed, can we decontaminate it through the addition of say organic acids or formaldehyde or medium chain fatty acids or essential oils? We've been studying a lot of this, uh, looking to see whether some of these compounds that are either on the market or in the pipeline can potentially reduce viral survival. So from the industry level, those are the two of the things I think that the nation could do is they could voluntarily organize a responsible imports program for their company and they can look at what mitigants might be helpful for them to reduce risk. Mm-hmm. I think the other the other component that's being discussed right now is involves some government activity is can we restrict the import of some of these high risk ingredients coming from ASF positive countries? Mm-hmm. Uh, For example, we we import soy based products from Russia, from Ukraine, from China, uh, under the guidance of uh, organic, you know, uh, whether it's organic or not, I don't probably think it is, but that's coming into our country. And I think I think we have to do something about that. And we're we're having conversations at the governance level now, uh, primarily through National Pork Producers Council. Mm-hmm. and the Secretary of Agriculture and the USDA. So the, those conversations are happening. And I'm proud to say that uh, a lot of the work that we've been involved with, along with these other great scientists I've mentioned, is, this, is uh, the basis for this request to uh, control these ingredients differently than we have in the past.
2: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Now, if we're talking here about a year ago or so, or maybe a little less than that, if and I ask, hey, do you think a year from now... Are we going to have uh, ASF in the country? Are you surprised, I guess, my question, that we are still free? Thanks, God. Um, or what's your thoughts there?
0: You know, if, if let's go back to September 2018 when we learned about China and ASF.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we had a meeting at the Lehman Conference, and we talked about this. So what can we do? And we introduced, you know, the mitigants, and we introduced the responsible imports. And the industry, really, was very quick to adapt. hmm And had we not been that proactive, my guess is we probably would have it by now, at least through the feed risk. Mm -hmm. Um, We still need to do some things with, I think, controlling some of these these imports. But I think that was about 80% of the battle was won when the industry got on board and started putting in holding times and putting in mitigation strategies with additives to take that viral load down, probably to a point where it's... It's still in the feed, but it's maybe non infectious or maybe the quantity is not high enough to infect the pig. Hadn't if we hadn't done that, I'm sure we'd have ASF by now. Mm,
2: That makes total sense. Very cool. Now uh if we step back a little bit and think about feed biosecurity in general, eh, for those that are not super familiar with this topic sometimes, you know, because this is very recent and our audience it's spread across twenty five countries, what are the 20% of the actions that would dictate 80% of the results, Dr. D?
0: Yeah. So the best thing they can do, as we've kind of just talked a little bit about, is, again, responsible imports and mitigants. I uh-huh. mean, um, those two things, uh, you can you can cover a lot of this just with those two approaches. I think you, I think you can handle 80% of it. Uh, the the remaining 20%, I think we still have these govern governance issues to discuss. But to me, the the best thing uh, best thing an organization can do if they're bringing in uh, ingredients from these high risk countries is to establish a holding time plan and a treatment plan for the feed.
1: Very
2: good. That makes total sense. And I, and thanks for emphasizing that. Is there an art of feed biosecurity or is it 100% science? <laughs>
0: uh, um, well, I think the the science that shows viruses can live in feed, uh, you know, it's been replicated so many times over so many different viruses. I think that's, that's 100% science. There's no, yep. there's no question about that. The, but there is a lot of art with feed biosecurity because there's a lot of things we don't know you know, we don't know the half-life for all of these viruses in feed ingredients. We know some. We don't know the oral dose in feed for all these uh, viruses and in, in ingredients. We know some, but we're still a little bit having to use our, you know, use what we can, use what science we have, but potentially develop strategies a little bit using some art because we simply don't have a, a cookbook approach yet because we're we're missing we're missing a few key facts. Um, we don't know how much virus is in feed in the real world. Okay. Uh, I think the Chinese have shown very nicely that ASF virus DNA is can be easily found in the grains on the ground and things that they uh, harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's quite a few things we don't understand yet. so there's there's quite a bit of art. But the science of transport and transmission or survival and transmission, I think, is, is very solid.
2: Very good. Um, and I, I probably would add on the art side of things, just from that, uh, you know, from the measures at the feed meal level, just from, you know, the cleaning side of things and, and path, you know, people and trucks and all those things, uh, just being able to implement, right, and, and, mm-hmm. and transmit, that, transmit that message to the team that that's super important.
0: Yeah. The other the other art side of this question it leads to science, but a lot of the art is in developing these ideas and models where we can study this. You know, we've we've developed two different models. One goes across the Pacific Ocean in a laboratory setting. The other one goes across the Atlantic Ocean. So, you know, one model starts in, in Beijing, goes to Shanghai, to San Francisco, to Des Moines. The other model starts in Warsaw, Poland, goes to La Havre, France, across the Atlantic to New York City, and then to Des Moines. And so we've set it up where these got representative ingredients, representative distances, representative transport times, representative uh, um, environmental conditions. So some of that leads to a scientific outcome, but a lot of that is art, mm-hmm. just from imagination and trying to figure out a way to see in that bag of choline in a feed mill that's from China, how do we study whether that could be a potential vehicle at the laboratory level so it can be controlled, it can be repeated, it can be done at the level it needs to to really answer the question. So there's there's definitely, again, art and science involved in, in this.
2: What are the biggest changes that you've seen happening at the feed mill level from, uh, you know, best practice standpoint and also from a more practical standpoint in the last few years?
0: Yeah, so uh, I think awareness of the risk is a big thing that uh, the feed millers have had to try to understand. I think that's been very, very challenging. It's it's such a different paradigm. Um, as far as a behavior change, I think the best thing we ever did at the mills that we work with is just stopping people from sweeping all the debris that falls off trucks down into the mm-hmm. the pit below you know that big hole that the trucks drive over and they dump their grain and then they saw it up into the various bins you know if, if, if you watch that especially in the winter time after the truck leaves people usually would come up with brooms and sweep whatever was on the floor down into that pit mm-hmm. and it's trucks coming in with ped on the ice and snow or the mud or uh, ho- hopefully never a ASF but talk about an easy way to contaminate feed right. at the mill level mm-hmm. that's one practice that a lot of people have really cracked down on so having to change behavior at the mill level has been I wouldn't say it's been difficult but it's been it's been challenging anytime you try to change the human behavior it's, it's going to be challenging right old habits are hard to break
2: <laughs> yes uh, what is the range of things that you've seen around the globe as it relates to feed risk and and what can be done better i mean you mentioned about the responsible imports and, and mitigants but also from the range of things that you've been exposed to that that you've seen around the globe um anything there that you say hey we probably should think about that or stop doing that
0: yeah uh i'll go from the like the worst case scenario to the best case scenario worst case scenario is grain drying in asia mm-hmm. If you see pictures of, you know, they harvest the grain, they throw it on the roads and the vehicles driving on the roads crack the grain and then they sweep it up into bags and off it goes. And I've seen that with livestock vehicles driving over the top. I've seen manure falling onto the grain. I've seen animals in contact with the grain. And that's a practice. It's an age old cultural practice Mm -hmm. that that's like, I think, the worst thing you could do. Because clearly, if an animal is shedding ASF in the feces or PED in the feces, talk about a great way to inoculate uh, a, a substrate. Right. On, good, on the good side, the best thing I've seen is what Canada has done. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency and the Canadian Pork Council, about a year and a half now, have set up a national program where if feed ingredients from ASF positive countries are coming to Canada, they have to have a certification of inspection Mm. and they go, the products go into secondary control zones, which are basically holding areas Mm. for a period of time. So it's, it's like a responsible imports, but it's a national approach and they have this at all their ports. And I, it's all based on, the all the science that uh, our collective group has has developed so it's very it's very good to see how that science has been put into practice to me that's the the ultimate and we need to do something like that here in the united states and i think mexico needs to do it too mm-hmm. so we can protect the whole continent
2: yes that makes that makes so sense
1: NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by servitude and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operation. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Very good. Uh, Anything else on this topic
2: of feed biosecurity before we close shop for today, Dr. D?
0: A couple of things that might be of interest for the audience. Um, There are some actions being taken now. The National Pork Producers Council has written a letter to the Secretary of Agriculture that's been signed by all the major pork producing associations. So 30 some organizations from the United States have signed on this letter saying, we need to do something about the high-risk ingredients from ASF-positive countries, Mm -hmm. the soy-based products. So that letter is is being discussed, I think, now up at uh, Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate National Pork Producers Council for doing that. That's something everybody needs to understand that there are are actions being taken at that high of a level. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the experimental side, uh, one of the things we're going to be doing a lot more of now is what we call demonstration projects where we are actually going to take viruses, PED, PERS, and Seneca, for example, put them in different feed ingredients and drive them around the United States in a commercial transport vehicle mm-hmm. and study survival, study survival under real world conditions. And so our original survival work was done in the lab. Right. Now we're going to take the viruses in the feed and put them in a trailer. we will be driving them 6,000 miles across 14 states. Wow. Uh, 21 days of 21 days of transport and then testing for viability yes no
2: yes
0: so we're taking the lab and we're putting it in the field and we're really testing whether the data we saw at the laboratory level can be demonstrated to be true under a real world shipping condition so we're going to be doing a lot of that uh, again just to bolster confidence that what we discovered and the laboratory is indeed translated to the field. So those are a couple of things that your audience may want to uh, pay attention to. Uh, if, you, if they hear discussions on demonstration projects, it might be something they want to listen to.
2: Very cool. On that one, just curious, is that are you guys planning to control variation of temperature or no? Just natural. On, from there we go.
0: Just natural. Yeah, we've got, we, for example, we'll take, we'll take soy based products, vitamins, amino acids, we'll spike them with all three of those viruses, PERS, Seneca, and PD. And they're in, they're in tubes that have vented caps. Mm. And so they can feel the environment. And Mm so one project we just finished, uh, there's a group called Sam Nutrition out of Minneapolis that helped us organize this. They basically drove those. Ingredients starting in Minnesota, out to Colorado, down to Texas, uh, across the Gulf Coast, up the eastern seaboard, and then across the Midwest. 21 days of transit, 6,000 miles. And all along, the ingredients and the viruses were exposed to the actual environmental conditions because they're in ventilated tubes. Mm -hmm. Got it. So we're not going to control the environment. We want the the viruses to see if they can survive under these real-world conditions. Perfect.
2: Very cool. Well, thanks a lot, Dr. D. This is a great uh, discussion there on this very important topic. I really
0: appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the ability to visit, and I'm looking forward to uh, any more questions you might have and further discussions that you may want to have with me.
2: Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Hey, everyone. Please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks web conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics and we're even gonna have some controversial topics of the global swine industry, so you can leverage that knowledge in your day to day. Go to SwineTalks.com and get on our wait list. We'll talk soon.